This morning we continue our series on characteristics of Christians who are sheltering in place. And our reading today comes from the end of Acts chapter 2. So the first part we haven't actually read yet. That's the story of Pentecost. We'll be reading that on Pentecost Sunday. Last week we listened and heard about the the sermon that Peter preached to the crowd um, after the uh, gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon Peter and all the disciples. And so today is a description of the early Christian community and how that community began to look. From Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now the the early church experienced increasing isolation and also persecution. The Roman military guard, the officials from Rome that were, that were established in Jerusalem, they had sent some of their leaders to Jerusalem after some uprisings. They were there because the Christians were seen as troublemakers for the empire, the Roman empire. So the Romans were a part of that increasing isolation of this Christian community. And also, in addition, it was the unbelieving Jews who saw this Jesus movement, the way, as heretical and dangerous. They were experiencing progressive, these Christians were experiencing progressive isolation and increased persecution. They were more and more keeping distance from the community of Jerusalem. We know that isolation takes its toll on us personally. I remember one of my professors, religion professors in college, he had become a Christian. He grew up as an Orthodox Jew. And when he, he was from New York and, and then ended up in uh, Minot, North Dakota in, on the Air Force Base where he met a good Lutheran. He became a Christian and eventually went to uh, seminary and then from seminary uh, went on to graduate school to work on his Ph.D. in Old Testament studies. And uh, I remember him sharing the story about when he went home to share with his parents that he had become a Christian. And his father, being an Orthodox Jew, Um, refused to acknowledge him from that point on. He said that his father looked upon him as if he was dead. And so there was no reason to have any relationship with him. The only thing that his father could do was remember who his orthodox son was. 
but from the point that he became a Christian, he, he could not think of him anymore. Now, I remember hearing my professor share that story, and, and you could hear the pain in his voice. Isolation is a difficult and challenging experience, no matter what kind of isolation it is. In this early church, they were experiencing this isolation and persecution in ways that might be similar to us today. There were fewer businesses that were, that were doing business with these early Christians. Now, for them, it might have been a matter of choice. For us, it's a matter of businesses closing down. So, as they had fewer and fewer contacts, they also saw an increase in the persecution of this early movement, this early church movement. Um, and we know that from the records uh, from the Scriptures about the Apostle Paul, who previously, before he became a Christian, was Saul. And Saul was one of, known as one of the great persecutors of the church. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 7 8, when we hear the story about Stephen, the deacon, Stephen is martyred by a group of unbelieving Jews for blasphemy, for speaking of Jesus as the Messiah. And it is Saul who holds the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. So, financial disaster, increasing isolation, all of these things happened to the early church. And we can relate to them as well today. As Luke, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, as well as the gospel of Luke, as Luke writes about this early church, he describes four characteristics that were prominent. The first is the apostles' teaching. The second is fellowship. The third was the sharing of the meals. And the fourth was prayer. And so I wanted to take a brief look at each four of these characteristics this morning. I'm going to, in a sense, kind of combine the first and the third, the apostles' teaching. We'll talk about that in the context of sharing the meal because um, that is a part of the, of, of the position that I think uh, we take that this was a reference to the Lord's Supper. So, one of the teachings that, that we continue to, to, to teach about and, and learn from is this little phrase that comes from Luke's writing today about the breaking of the bread. It gets translated as sharing of the meal. Literally, it is the breaking of the bread. And the reason that is so important is because there's another reference to this um, in Luke's writings. Now, this teaching may cut across um, some theological lines. So there are, um, you might say, like a confessional, sacramental perspective, which we as Lutherans are probably more in tune to. But there is also then a more um, uh, Protestant or a more Reformed, um, less sacramental uh, perspective of this. 
So the less sacramental perspective would say, well, they're just talking about a sharing of the meal. There's nothing more to it than that. It's like going home after church and, and having your family dinner. But then you would have to discount some of the phrases that Luke uses. And one of the things that we know about the gospel writers is that they were very intentional about phraseology and words that they repeated. And so one of the things that we learn is that the breaking of the bread did not just happen in the book of Acts, in this second chapter. Luke writes about two of the disciples who had been together on Easter Sunday morning when the women had come back from the tomb um, upset but also acknowledging that Jesus was not there but that he had been raised from the dead, that they got to see him. Not all the disciples believed what they heard. Two of the disciples, one of them Cleopas, these would be more than the 12 disciples that we're talking about here. Cleopas and another disciple made their way to Emmaus, a little village about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And on the way, they were joined by another traveler who walked up with them and, uh, and went on the way with them. And he said, you look kind of sad. What are you talking about? And they said, are you the only one who hasn't heard what's happened these last days in Jerusalem? And then it says that this man that had joined them was actually Jesus and that he began to open the scriptures for these two disciples. Didn't you know what the prophets meant? Didn't you know what the scriptures intended? And as they made this journey, this walk to Emmaus, it says that their eyes were opened. They saw and heard things that put it all together for them. When they got to Emmaus, Jesus was ready to continue on his way, and they said, no, please don't go. Stay with us tonight. We've enjoyed the company. And so they met for a meal, and it says that Jesus took the bread and he broke it, the same phrase that he uses in the book of Acts. And that when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened and they saw that this was indeed Jesus, the Messiah. So the breaking of the bread is a reference to a revelation that comes spiritually through the power of the Lord's Supper. Now, <clears throat> we also know that that in addition to the road to Emmaus, that Ignatius um, wrote about this. Ignatius was one of the early church fathers, uh, one of the early church leaders. He had been a student of St. Peter, so that was who he had learned from. So he was an apostle or a disciple that followed in the, in the lineage of, of Peter's teachings. And this is what Ignatius says in his letter to the Ephesians. He also wrote letters to all the Christian churches in uh, Asia Minor. And in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, he makes reference to sharing the Lord's Supper um, in these communities. Um, in Ephesus, for example, you know, the Ephesians would not have had a church building. They would not have been meeting in the temple that's in Jerusalem. Even the synagogue would not have been a place to meet. So they were meeting in homes. So we know that what Ignatius is talking about is celebrating the Lord's Supper in homes. And so this is what Ignatius says. He tells the Christian community in, in 
in Ephesus to gather together for one bread. Literally, that's what he's saying. Gather together for one bread. It is the antidote that we take not to die, but to live forever in Jesus Christ. So these references tell us that people in Jerusalem not only experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but they also experienced the presence of Christ. And so um, what we hear in these stories is that in the early church, Holy Communion was offered in homes. Now, as you take a look at our theme for today, worship at home, that's one of the aspects of the teachings, we believe, of the apostles, as well as the sharing of the meal. A third characteristic is fellowship. Koinonia would be the Greek word. It says that they broke bread at home, and that would have included a shared meal together um, in addition to the Lord's Supper. In the early church, it referenced both spiritual fellowship and the sharing of possessions. So the spiritual fellowship um, would have been that fellowship that we experience in the community of faith. And, it, it, you know, we, we kind of relegate it to the uh, coffee hour or the time after worship services. Um, but it would be much more than just that. Uh, but that would be the beginning. And we have lost that. And so that's why we want to experience, and hopefully by next Sunday or the Sunday after, we'll be trying out our first virtual fellowship so that we can become reconnected. But the Acts ministry is another part of how we are connecting spiritually in fellowship with one another. The early church also shared everything that they had in common. And so um, not only would it have been a shared meal, the spiritual fellowship, uh, but it would also have been the sharing of possessions. Now, I know it sounds a lot like communism or socialism, um, but put your minds to rest that that wasn't even uh, a concept. That's, a, that's an enlightenment concept. That's a, um, a current historical perspective um, that we try to transplant onto the text. That's not what they were intending there. What they were intending is this spiritual fellowship. So a fellowship that's not coerced or forced, but a fellowship that sees the needs of the people in your neighbor and reaches out to help and to share with those neighbors those needs. And so, for, for example, when we talk about this uh, sharing of the possessions, um, one of the things that it would relate to more clearly would be the year of Jubilee. That happened every 50th year in Israel. And that year of Jubilee would be when if you had debts, they were canceled. You got to start all over again. And it was a way to, uh, to, to give everyone a break, a chance at a new, new start, at a new beginning. And so it might have been more like the year of Jubilee. Or um, perhaps it was um, literally the, the, the Greek word koinon, the first part of koinonia. Um, sharing with one another, general friendship, Gen just being friends with one another but also table fellowship. You know, it's one thing to be a friend to someone. It's another thing to invite them to your table. And so 
when we talk about table fellowship, we're talking about something that's going to be a bit more intimate than just a uh, general friendship. But then we also have the spiritual friendship and the spiritual food which we experience in the Lord's Supper. And then we also talk about the sharing of material goods as others had need. And so it might have been food, it might have been clothing, but what it is is it's an opportunity for us to care for one another in our church, in our church family, but also in our community. To think of the poor uh, as well as those who are not struggling. And so when we, we want to remember that some people had never envisioned being poor, that was never on their radar, but maybe this period of time through this pandemic has created an experience of poverty without jobs, um, without uh, the resources, without the assets that we used to have. Um, that is the purpose of the help one another mission, is that we have people in our church who are suffering today for many reasons, and we want to be able to address uh, those needs. The fourth characteristic is that they gathered for prayer in both the temple and in their homes. They would gather at the temple for the formal uh, worship, often included, uh, the, the prayers often included psalms, reciting of the psalms. And then they would also gather at home for prayer. And they had prayers for mealtime, um, maybe kind of like you and I might have a mealtime prayer. One of our family traditions has been, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Perhaps you know that prayer. We've learned a new one from our, one of our granddaughters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Thank you, God, for feeding me. And so there are different ways that we give thanks to God for the prayer or for the gifts of food uh, by the prayers that we offer. There, we also have prayers um, for daily devotionals, and uh, we have the daily texts as an opportunity for us to be together in a daily devotional, but even for your own self and for your own life to have that time and that, uh, that experience of daily devotions. And nighttime prayers, bedtime prayers. I grew up, now I lay me down to sleep. Some of you maybe know that prayer. So prayers at the church, but prayers at home. Worship at the church, but worship at home. And so today we wanted to focus on what does that mean to worship at home? And it begins with these four characteristics. Characteristics of prayer, of fellowship, of the authority, of the teaching of the apostles, and of the sharing of meals.